Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to Enter the Novelcast. The Visitors Quarantine Chapter 7 Gordon dropped to the floor, landing on his stomach, and Danielle crouched and backpedaled, moving behind the side of the dresser, holding her gun tight and sliding down to the floor. Gordon's side was grazed by some of the buckshot, though luckily it seemed that most of it was eaten up by the bedroom wall that had passed through. He flipped over onto his back, ignoring the burning pain in his ribs, holding his gun down, pointing it between his slightly raised knees at the wall. He let the following silence hang for only a moment, and then Gordon began to wince and groan audibly in pain, the entire time keeping his eyes on the doorway, gun aiming threateningly. The sound of a couple of footsteps was heard, and a man holding a sawed-off shotgun stepped around the corner, into the room. Without thinking, Gordon pulled his trigger and fired, his colt kicking in his hands milliseconds before the bullet entered the man's skull toppling him to the floor with a dark splatter of blood and brain matter along the wall of the hallway. "'Shit!' he heard another say loudly from further down the hall. Gordon scrambled up and moved quickly to stand by the doorframe, just over the dead man's legs. The shotgun was lying next to the body, within easy reach of Gordon, but he let it sit there, for now. After a brief moment, a hand reached into view from the hallway, closing around the butt of the shotgun. Gordon reached his foot out and stomped his boot onto the knuckles of the exposed hand. He then wheeled around the corner, gun aimed at the person's frightful face. The young man was looking up at Gordon, one hand on a pistol as he crouched and reached for the sawed-off shotgun. Gordon instantly recognized the man as the younger runner he had seen at Duke's earlier that same evening. "'Who are you?' The man just stared, open-mouthed up at Gordon. "'Who are you?' Gordon said again, his voice low but his tone stern and unforgiving. "'Jason,' the man said. "'You were at Haven today.' Gordon nodded towards the pistol in the man's hand. "'Slide that over there.' Jason did as he was told, since there wasn't much room to argue when staring down the barrel of a gun. He set his pistol on the hardwood floors of the hall and slid it towards Gordon, where it hit the body of the fallen man with a dull thud. "'Got anything else?' Gordon asked. "'Just a flashlight,' Jason said. Gordon slowly lifted his boot off of Jason's hand. "'Get up,' he said. The younger man stood, eyes wide with fear in the dark hallway, staring directly at Gordon, unblinking and unmoving. "'Who's he?' Gordon asked. Jason looked down at the body briefly, and then back up to Gordon, and more importantly, his gun. Jack, he said. I hired him. Where's your friend? He's the driver, Jason said. He's waiting down the street. Gordon blinked. He's driving inside the perimeter? Jason nodded. He and Jack had an old car that they hotwired. One that was uh, abandoned. They use it to get around. And you hired them? Yeah. I I knew where the job was, but they knew the zone. We were going to split three ways. Jack said... He trailed off as he looked down at the dead man's face, with the bone fragments lying like white flecks around the floor, and the dark, gaping hole in the man's cranium. 
Jason fell silent, and his breathing went from ragged gasps to one steady, deep breath after another. Gordon narrowed his eyes. You okay? Jason looked back up at Gordon briefly and then turned and vomited in the corner, heaving and hacking loudly. Danielle came out of the room slowly, standing beside Gordon. She looked down at Jason. There's another one? she asked. Down the street, Gordon said, waiting in a car. She tucked her gun into her backpack and slung it over her shoulder. Give me five minutes, she said, then take him outside. She stepped over the bleeding body and walked right past Jason, moving with swift certainty. Gordon watched her go, and then looked back down at the other man. She hire you? Jason asked between coughs. No, Gordon said. I found her here. Seems uh, all of us were looking for the same thing. Except we didn't try to kill each other. Jason moved himself back to sit against the wall opposite his small pile of clear vomit, his breathing returning to normal. Jack said that was how things went inside the perimeter. Gordon lowered his weapon, but still held it tight. I've never been inside before, Jason went on, staring blankly at the wall ahead of him. I just wanted a way to give my kids something more than the basic, you know? The rations? They deserve better than that. A friend of mine brought me to Jack. We agreed to split the pay for this job three ways. Better protect yourself, Jack had said. Gordon stood still, listening intently, observing Jason with dark eyes. The man was young, a young father by the sound of it. Gordon frowned when he imagined this man with a couple of kids in one of the small refugee houses, but he quickly pushed the image from his mind. Don't relate, he thought to himself. Generally... Gordon said quietly. People like Jack are the ones you need to protect yourself against. Jason nodded absently. Yeah. All right, Gordon said, lifting his weapon up and aiming it back at Jason once more. Get up. We're leaving. Jason stood on shaky legs, and Gordon directed him to turn around by waving his gun to the side quickly. What's she going to do to Mitch? Jason asked. Elefano, Gordon said, as they headed down the hall. The dark of the night didn't seem as encroaching as it once had, now out in the open streets of Leavenworth, the bright moon lighting the small town. Gordon saw the old, abandoned army jeep sitting right over the center line of the empty avenue. He and Jason approached it, and soon Gordon saw the other man, Mitch, was standing on the sidewalk at least twenty feet away, with Danielle standing in the jeep. Hunting rifle pointed right at him. Jason, what the hell happened in there? Mitch asked as they approached. Is Jack? Yeah, Jason said. Gordon looked up to Danielle. That yours? he asked. They left it just sitting in the back seat, she answered, hefting the rifle. They made this way too easy for me. Gordon smirked and then looked at the other two men. Okay, boys, he said. Start walking. What? Jason asked. That's our jeep. I don't care, Gordon said. Your buddy almost killed us in there, and now you have to pay for it. Sounds like he paid for it well enough already, Mitch said. He came looking for blood. He found it, Gordon responded. Now start walking. 
Where? Jason asked. I don't care. Just start. Jason and Mitch looked from Gordon, standing still, his weight on one leg, staring them down coldly in the brisk autumn evening, to Danielle, one eye squinted shut, the other aiming down the barrel of the rifle, pointed right at them. The younger men didn't need any further indication than that, and they turned around and walked away, heading down the street, shoes clicking on the sidewalk. Once they were about fifty yards away, Danielle lowered the rifle, slinging it around her shoulder, and looked down to Gordon. You could have drove away, Gordon observed. You saying I should have? she asked. Gordon smirked again. No, he said. I'm pretty pleased you stayed. She dropped down to the street, watching as Gordon moved around the driver's side of the vehicle. May as well use this, he said tossing the metal case into the back of the jeep, and then climbing into the driver's seat. "'You know how to get to Underhill?' she asked as she got into the passenger seat. "'Yeah,' he said, reaching down and peering at the exposed wiring under the steering column. With a few small adjustments, the jeep sparked to life, rumbling in the quiet night. "'Why didn't you shoot me?' Danielle asked. Gordon turned a slightly confused look on her. "'When you found me in the house, why didn't you shoot me?' That's not what you do, he said. That may be what Jack and Mitch do. That's not what a real runner does. I would have shot you, she said flatly. Gordon frowned. You remind me of my daughter. Danielle turned to look at him again. Natalie? He sat, staring forward down the dark avenue, hands gripping the steering wheel. Yes, he said softly. I'm sorry, Danielle responded. He turned sharply, facing her with intense eyes. Why? I'm sorry for your loss. She's not dead. Oh. His mind reeled to his daughter, her house and her husband, their yard and their jobs and their lives. He gritted his teeth, pushing the thoughts out of his mind. His knees ached. His side hurt from where the shotgun had grazed him, and his head was pounding. He thought of the message he received, the image of seeing the plane fall out of the sky, the day that his entire life was turned on its head. All because of them. He blinked a few times, returning to the present, and he suddenly had an idea. Wanna take a quick detour? he asked. Why? Danielle responded. I want to go see something. It's a short drive. Okay, as long as it'll be quick. Gordon put the jeep into drive and headed off, turning onto Main Street and heading north out of Leavenworth. Now, why didn't you shoot me? Gordon asked. When I came around that corner, why didn't you shoot me like I did Jack? Danielle looked to Gordon, her auburn hair whipping about her face as they drove. She then turned and looked ahead, through the windshield of the jeep, watching the road roll under the headlights, the clouds move in the starry sky above. No bullets. Gordon took a quick glance at her, and then chuckled. Gordon drove into Kendall, the familiar wooded streets crisscrossing and stretching ahead of him. He pulled the vehicle to the side of the road and then shut it off. Why are we here? 
Danielle asked. Gordon got out, grabbing his bag from the back seat and closing the door. Danielle followed suit, and they stood in front of the car together. Cuz, Gordon said, I'm, uh, curious. We took a twenty-minute detour because you're curious? Danielle asked. Gordon looked at her, his face stern. Keep your voice down, he said, and then he started walking. She fell into step behind him, and they quietly made their way through the streets, alleys, and yards. Gordon wasn't exactly sure why he was backing Kendall. He just knew that he wanted to look at that house again, figure out what Dr. Copeland had been doing there. He hadn't planned on it, but finding a working car had suddenly given him a lot more freedom than he would have normally had. And, if Dr. Copeland really was sneaking into the perimeter at night, and Gordon happened to have crossed paths with him randomly that evening, then he doubted Alan would expect to see Gordon again the very next night. If he was quiet enough, he could actually see what Alan was up to. Within a matter of minutes, they found their way to the very same house, 372 Forest View Drive, and sat under the shadow of a tree across the street, watching the house silently. Danielle started to ask a question, but Gordon silently scolded her, cutting her short and keeping her quiet. They remained like that for minutes, squatting in the shadows, the two of them watching the house intently. The sound of the wind in the tree above them rustled the leaves and gave the abandoned town of Kendall an even more ghostly feel to it. The dark windows of the houses along the street once again felt like they were hiding watchful eyes in their complete darkness. Eyes that were now fixated on Gordon and Danielle. He couldn't shake that feeling, the inexplicable chilling sensation that crawled up his spine. He was being watched. He saw no indication of it anywhere around him, no physical evidence to lead him to that conclusion, but he felt it. He heard it in the rustling leaves above him, felt it in the chill wind, and smelled it on the cold night air. Danielle turned, looking at Gordon. He returned the look, and she mouthed the words, Going in? Pointing to the house across the street. Gordon looked back at the house again, and then reached behind him, feeling the gun in his waistband. Silently, he nodded, and they stood up and walked towards the house. They stood in the entry level of the house, just entering through the partially open door from the garage. Gordon walked slowly into the kitchen, gun drawn, and Danielle followed behind, rifle held with the barrel low, but her muscles were tense and ready. Gordon peered down the dark stairs into the complete blackness of the basement, and then slowly walked through the cluttered kitchen to look into the well-windowed living room. All seemed empty and quiet. Danielle followed him, standing beside him. Why are we here? she asked, her voice in a low whisper. Gordon's eyes scanned the dark room. Look around. Look for anything unusual he said. What does that mean? she asked back, but he didn't answer. He went to work picking through the utensils of the kitchen, the forks, the knives, the stirring spoons and cups, and plastic containers and refrigerator magnets. He looked from one item to the next, 
examining it for a few seconds before moving on. The more time that passed, the more this felt to him like he was going crazy. Why exactly had he come back here? Was he hoping to find Dr. Copeland again, or did he think that Dr. Copeland was looking for something special? Something different? Maybe an artifact, like what Busetta found. It was a long shot, but it was one of the only plausible reasons for Dr. Alan Copeland to sneak in here on his own, in the middle of the night. He must have gotten word of some bit of alien hardware in the area, or gotten some inclination that there was something in this house, this kitchen. Not wanting to leave... Stop! Not wanting to let anyone else know, wanting to claim it for his own, he found his way back here under the cover of darkness and stumbled across Gordon. He couldn't look for it while Gordon was with him, and so he followed Gordon out, only to come back and try again another night. It all fit. Everything made sense, except for two things. Why wasn't Alan here now? And was this related to the emptiness of the Cedar Grove's facility? Gordon, he heard Danielle call softly from the living room. He cursed at her volume. Even if it was just above a whisper, it was much too loud for how quiet the house was. He moved quickly towards the door from the kitchen and looked in at her. He saw her leaning heavily against the back of the couch before falling down in a slump to the carpeted floor. Danielle? he asked, moving towards her, and then he felt it. Or rather, he felt it again. The sharp, stinging pain behind his temples and the throbbing behind his eyes. His ears rang and his head pounded, just like it had at Cedar Groves, only much, much worse. He staggered forward, catching himself on the couch. He looked down at Danielle, his vision waving, and saw her lying still, likely unconscious, on the floor. He swayed about, as if he were on the open ocean, and slowly and with great effort brought his head back up, his eyes sweeping across the living room windows. And he saw, outside in the front lawn, a black silhouette of someone standing there, watching him. The person was tall, easily taller than six feet. Couldn't have been Alan. He felt his body giving way beneath him, and just before he toppled to the floor, he realized that there wasn't one person standing outside, just off the dark street. There were seven. Hello, Nicholas Corey here. Just wanted to start with saying thank you very much for listening to Season 1 of Enter the Novelcast. We have one chapter to go, but before we get there, I wanted to take a brief moment and thank you for subscribing and listening. In addition, uh, please, if you would be so kind, check out extra-life.org. It is a charity organization 
they encourage their members to do a 24-hour gaming marathon to raise money for children's hospitals throughout the country. So if you go to extra-life.org and search for Nicholas Corey, you will find my fundraising page. Um, if you feel so inclined, please donate uh, whatever you feel appropriate. 100% um, of all funds raised will go directly to children's hospitals around the nation. So, uh, and then if you're interested, our 24-hour uh, gaming marathon will be from November 5th to November 6th. So it's Saturday into a Sunday. We'll be doing some online video game streaming and some uh, table, a lot of tabletop gaming. And I will keep you updated on that. But again, extra-life.org, search for Nicholas Corey, and you will find my fundraising page. And again, 100% of all proceeds will go directly to children's hospitals who need it. So thank you very much in advance for donating if you choose to do so. Thank you very much for listening so far. Please provide your feedback to nicholascorey at gmail.com. And without further ado, let's get on to the last chapter of... Enter the Novelcast, Season 1, The Visitors, Quarantine, Chapter 8. Gordon's dark eyes opened slowly, and he realized he was lying on the floor, staring up at a sterile, tiled ceiling not far above him. His head ached, a powerful, throbbing pain inside his temples. He sat up, pressing his hands to his cranium in an effort to silence the pain. It didn't help much. He blinked a few times and took in his surroundings. He saw he was seated in a short hallway, close to one end. The door at the far end of the hall was closed, and even though it was metal and without blemish or detail, it held some strange familiarity with him. He considered it, narrowing his eyes, ignoring the pain, but couldn't place where he knew it from. He just knew it. And then he remembered. This was his dream, although before it was hazy, foggy, uncertain, and shifting. Now, however, it snapped into focus with a powerful, realistic clarity. He wasn't just seeing this through his mind's eye. He was here. He had to be. He turned and looked over his shoulder, expecting to see the other door, the brooding, unfamiliar, strange door, cracked open and revealing a room of impenetrable darkness beyond, hiding the horrors of the world, his fears and doubts, shames and regrets, the terrors, both known and unknown, that lived beyond the darkness of that door would peer back out at him and he would fancy he could see their dim yellow eyes. But, to Gordon's fright, the door was not cracked. It was thrown wide, and the sliver of utter blackness now became an entire gaping hole. He quickly turned and looked ahead again, and saw the familiar door. He stood slowly, his legs aching, his knees popping. He straightened his back and looked at the closed door again, some twenty yards ahead of him. It looked more welcoming, more inviting. He had the strange feeling that if he were to go through that door, he would be safe from the horrors that lurked behind him. Gathering all of his might, ignoring his racing heart, 
He slowly turned and looked over his shoulder once more, his head rotating slowly, eyes pushed to their limits to see what was back there. As he turned, the only sound he heard was his beating heart and his ragged breath, and he felt sweat begin to bead on his forehead. There was something in that blackness. He was sure of it. As he turned, however, he found that there was something between him and the door. Now, his eyes caught, at the very edges of their vision, the dark arm and mid-torso of a shadowed person behind him. His head snapped back to face forward, his heart beating even faster now. The person just stood behind him, and they seemed incredibly tall, at least another foot taller than Gordon. The arm and the body were blacker than night, as if the light itself fell away from them rather than onto them. His fears were no longer an itch in the back of his mind. They were real, and standing about two feet behind him. He slowly realized that this silent follower was not chasing him. There was no pursuit, nor desire to catch Gordon down this short hallway. Instead, the follower was simply observing him, watching him closely as he faced ahead at the more friendly door. Gordon didn't know what to do. His entire heart and mind were screaming at him to run to not look around again and to just head through the door swiftly before the silent observer had the chance to grab him. The mere presence of the other had him as fearful as he'd ever been. But at the same time, he didn't want to cause undue alarm. The other hadn't made any move to approach him, and rather was observing him silently. To break into a dead run could instigate a chase, but to move more casually could keep Gordon safe for now. And so he decided to do just that. He clenched his fists, ignored the dull pain in his knuckles and the feeling of swelling in his fingers. He focused on the door ahead, and he strode forward. He pushed through the door and found himself in Duke's. The familiar bar was almost devoid of patrons, and Frank stood behind the bar, wiping his hands on a dirty towel that probably passed for white at some point long ago. Gordon heard the door close behind him, but didn't turn to look. His body felt more at ease. His mind felt less frantic, within the familiar confines of the bar. Even though the lighting of the bar seemed harsh and unwelcoming, and Frank looked displeased to see Gordon he still felt somewhat at home. He realized he was standing in the back of the bar, facing the front windows. In through the windows came the softest, most beautifully orange sunlight he had ever seen. It gave the outside world a sense of prestige and comfort that was lost on the interior of the bar. He felt determined to head out and see what the street looked like in this beautiful sunlight, to put this dirty, unfriendly establishment behind him. But it wasn't unfriendly. Gordon knew that. He remembered that. He remembered a time when Duke's was his place to be, when it was the only place that he truly felt like himself. 
he spent more time at Duke's than he did at his own home, and this was that bar. He shouldn't so quickly dismiss it just because the lighting is so bad and Frank is having an off day, should he? Gordon slowly walked forward, sitting on his stool at the bar. His back and knees ached like never before as he sat down, but he knew that a few drinks later and that pain would only be a fading memory. What do you want? Frank asked coldly. Gordon looked up at the man. Jack, he said. Frank took out a small glass and poured in the whiskey for Gordon, and left the bottle on the bar before turning and leaving. Gordon thought to himself, Wow, Frank must really be having an off day. He reached forward and grasped the glass in his hand, looking down at the liquor within. It looked as familiar as ever, but there was something he couldn't place about it, something that didn't seem right. He lifted the glass to his nose and sniffed it a few times. It was without any defining smell, which seemed strange to him, but not necessarily alarming. It sure looked like normal whiskey, after all. He decided not to think about it, and instead poured it down his throat, feeling it hit his lips and wash across his tongue like a river of comfortable regret. Gordon's head ached with a pounding, undeniable pain, and he feels the scrape of dry grass and dirt along the back of his head. With great effort, he peels his eyes open, and he blinks away the blurriness to see the starry night up above, slowly drifting by. His arms are above his head, and his feet are in the air, and he suddenly realized why he had adopted such a strange position. He's being dragged. He lifts his head, ignoring the rhythmic, beating pain in his cranium, as he considers what is dragging him. He sees a man, tall and thin, grasping his ankles tightly and pulling him along the forest floor. Gordon yelps in fright, and kicks his legs as powerfully as he can. The man turned back to regard him, dropping him in shock. Gordon scrambles forward a few feet, wide eyes fixated on the dark, shadowy form in front of him. Without a word, the man escapes sprinting through the trees, the rustling underbrush of the forest the only sign of his flight. Gordon blinked a few times, trying to gain his bearings. His ankles still throbbed, as if he could still feel the man's cold fingers gripping them tightly. He stared at his feet, convincing his rattled brain that there was no longer anyone trying to abduct him. He looked around, slowly standing, he was in the middle of the woods, and it still seemed like it was around midnight, though it couldn't be before or after, as he wasn't sure. He reached behind him to where he kept his gun, and felt it was gone. Alarms sounded in his mind, and he began patting his pockets on his jacket and pants to see what he had left, if anything. All he found was a small emergency flashlight. He pulled it out and was about to turn it on when his ears caught the sound of something moving through the brush just ahead of him. He crouched low, his knees screaming in pain that was difficult to ignore. He stared ahead, wide-eyed, but didn't see any sign of any other person. Silence reigned in the forest. The only sounds he heard were his beating heart and his ragged breath. He glanced around. 
and with a creeping realization, Gordon found that he had no idea where he was. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes of Enter the Novelcast and the upcoming Season 2 at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. For more information on other creative projects, visit nicholascorey.com. And to leave your feedback on Enter the Novelcast, please email me directly at nicholascorey at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next season.